John chapter 5 and verse 1. John chapter 5 and verse 1. After this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Lord travels from Galilee to Jerusalem to attend one of the major annual Jewish festivals. But which of them is not actually specified. It could well be the second of the four Passovers over three years, which our Lord observed during his public ministry. We read in verse 2, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Bethesda was a formerly constructed reservoir with colonnades around it, under which it was customary for many sick people to sit in order to avail themselves of the healing properties of the spa waters at this particular location. Under the colonnades or perches, uh, porches, the infirm could find shelter from the sun. The natural healing properties of spa waters is universally acknowledged to this very day. The moving of the water refers to periodic, fresh infusions of water into the pool from its spring. Soon after these new infusions, the therapeutic effects of the waters would be at their highest. Bethesda, in Hebrew, means house of outpouring or house of mercy, with reference to the continual replenishing of these waters and to the water's healing properties. House of outpouring, house of mercy. God, in his providential government of the world, and in his common grace towards fallen men, has supplied this beneficial aspect uh, of spa waters, to his creatures. Now, we are told in verse 4, an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Now, as we have just mentioned, the troubling of the water refers to a fresh infusion into the spa water from its natural source. 
The Lord knows exactly who is seated around this reservoir at any one time. And he causes the healing properties within the waters periodically and briefly to abound. Each new influx of water into the pool is God's direct doing because he upholds his creation each and every day. In one sense, we could call the fountains periodically refreshing the reservoir a natural phenomenon. But that does not mean that it is any less the Lord's hand. Because whatever we observe in nature is what God has made and what he is continually sustaining. So whatever the weather is doing on any one day, it is the course of nature, but it is also the Lord's direct doing. Now we note that this new infusion of water into the pool is referred to as the work of an angel. Now there is absolutely no impropriety in calling what God does the work of an angel because he is constantly working through these ministering spirits in his oversight of the world. There are myriads of ways in which God employs his unseen spirit creatures to carry out his government of the creation. Just because we cannot see the angels does not, of course, mean that they are not constantly at work around us. Especially to minister for the benefit of the saints or those who will become such. Now, those sick people who entered into the pool immediately after the new influx of spring water were the ones most likely to be healed because then, for a very short period, the water's healing properties were at their most potent. Now, God in his mercy desires to heal certain ones and he employs in particular one of his angels to carry out this act of mercy so we are told in this verse 4 whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had Now, John is not saying that only one person could ever be healed after the new infusion of water. But rather that the limited number of those who were able to enter into the pool when its healing properties were at the highest were the ones who would benefit. And we read in verse 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. 
when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you desire to be healed? Now our Lord, as God, knows all about the lame man's plight and its long-lasting nature. He asks him then if he desires to be made well so as to stimulate an awareness in him that the God who wants to help him must be sought after by him. Wilt thou be made whole? Now, bodily sickness is a biblical metaphor for man's fallen, corrupted and sinful state. It's vital that we understand that. The Lord Jesus Christ sees man in a wretched, miserable, sin-sick condition. All sickness originates from Adam's rebellion in the Garden of Eden. The one thing the Lord asks sinful men is this, wilt thou be made whole? Hast thou any desire to be saved? Do you desire my mercy? The Lord requires a response from sin-sick men. He cannot help those who resolve to carry on in their sin and unbelief. Men must actively seek God for salvation. If the unbeliever does not seek God and his mercy, he will not be saved. Verse 7. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So the lame man uses a reverential form of address, sir, to speak to the Lord. This is probably due to the Lord's whole bearing and manner of speech. The crippled man tells the Lord that he has no one to help him into the pool during the short period when its healing properties are at their most beneficial. Now, the plight of this lame man, this impotent man, man without any power to walk, his plight represents the hopeless condition of every unforgiven sinner in every generation. He is spiritually lame. He can do nothing 
to get himself into God's presence. And no mere human being, no friend, no matter how close, can act on another's behalf and cause the burden of guilt which all carry to be removed. Christ alone can bring salvation to a sin-sick soul. Verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. So, the bed on the ground represents the man's hopeless, sickly existence up to now. So, he must pick it up to display that he has been released from his debilitating condition. But note that the Lord tells him to do what he simply cannot do in his own strength. How can a lame man pick up his bed and walk? The reason the Lord tells him to do this is because at the same time he gives him the power to do what he has just commanded him to do. And this aptly illustrates the core of the Christian gospel. No one has any natural desire or strength to repent of sin and seek God's mercy. No one by nature even wants to do that. But as the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit convicts the sinner and gives him both a desire and the ability to come to the Saviour for mercy. So God enables the man who hears the gospel the power to come, if he will come. But this does not rule out human responsibility. The command to come still has to be obeyed. And so unbelievers today are saved by Christ alone. Only he can lift them up from their spiritual lameness. But they, for their part, must obey the command to repent and come to him. And so we say to every unbeliever today, all the spiritually lame people, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Verse 9. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So 
without any need to step into the pool at the stirring of the waters. The man is healed by the mere word of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not been able to walk for 38 years. But he now walks as if there had never been anything wrong with him. Now our Lord performs this wonderful miracle by his own authority and thereby demonstrates his divine nature. Because none but the creator God can make the incurable well. Now earlier on in John's Gospel where we read of the very first of the Lord's miracles we have explained to us one of their purposes. In John chapter 2 and verse 11. This beginning of his signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So our Lord's miracles Manifest the glory of his divine status. They are signs pointing us to who he really is. Every time we go out into the open air and witness, the Muslims come up to us and say, Jesus is not God. Well, we say to them, what prophet did miracles like Jesus did? They say he's just a prophet. But his healing miracles point us to his deity and his oneness with God the Father. As Peter declared on the day of Pentecost, In Acts 2, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. You see, the miracles are the Father's approbation of his Son. John 10, verse 25, John 10, 25, our Lord says, The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. And then in John 10, 38, he says, Believe the works, that ye may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. The miracles also have a closely related second purpose. To show us that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the promised Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures. He who will save the people from their sins. In Matthew 11 and verse 5, the Lord states concerning his ministry, 
The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. In other words, says the Lord, look at the evidence of God's power before your eyes. This shows you that the Messiah has indeed come. A Messiah who not only manifests divine healing power, but who will also save the people from their sins. The Lord's healing miracles then are ultimately mere outward symbols. They are not an end in themselves. They are symbols whereby he shows that he came as a spiritual physician to cure souls. So the miracles point not to just to God's power over the creation, but the miracles point to the power of Jesus Christ to save sinners from hell. That is their significance. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. You would think that they would be pleased that this man whom they knew had been lame for 38 years was now walking. But what do they do? You're carrying your bed. You shouldn't do that. And so they take great exception to the Lord's healing of this impotent man on the Sabbath day. You know, the world is no different today in its pharisaical self-righteousness. You use the wrong pronoun. How dare you? It's exactly the same spirit. You deserve to lose your job because you used the wrong pronoun addressing that child in your class as a teacher. It's the same spirit that we see here. By saying this, the Jewish leaders show that they have no true understanding of the purpose of the fourth commandment. They did not realise that it was given to refresh men in both body and soul and to bring glory to God. That's why it was given. And those goals have been wonderfully accomplished in this lame man's restoration. The carrying of his bed on the Sabbath day was not in order to pursue a selfish commercial interest. It was a glorifying of the God who had just delivered him. And so the healed man says in verse 11, he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man 
is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk. Now the Jewish leaders probably knew who had carried out the healing because the Lord has in no way acted secretly. But they were seeking to build up a case against him. And so this is their attempt to obtain a formal witness statement to accuse the Lord. The bearing of burdens on the Sabbath day was against their laws, their traditions and their skewed understanding of the fourth commandment. However, this healing miracle was a gracious opportunity for these hard-hearted opponents of truth to humble themselves before God and to realise the sickness of their own hearts. But in their pride, they fail to see the miracle's true purpose. The purpose of the miracle was to draw them to the Saviour. Verse 13. And he that was healed wished not who it was who had healed him. He didn't know. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So many people saw the healing. But the Lord does not immediately stay with the healed man in this very crowded area. He wanted to speak with him in a more private manner at a later stage. So he now conveys himself away, which suggests a miraculous disappearance from amidst the crowd, as we read of on other occasions as well. Uh, Luke 4, verse 30 and John 10, 39. So the Lord, it seems, now miraculously removes himself from the scene. But verse 14, afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Sin no more, unless a worse thing come unto thee. You see, the healing miracle was not an end in itself. It was a call to repentance. Now, this is possibly on the same day, or perhaps the next day, the Lord meets up with the healed man in the court of the temple. Now, we can presume that the healed man has gone there for the best of reasons, to thank God for his healing. So he has responded to the miracle in a right manner by humbling himself before the Lord. Jesus now says to him, 
Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And so we observe that the significance of this miracle is not simply the removal of physical suffering. Because the Lord explicitly links the man's restoration to health with his not continuing in a life of sin. And so the miracle is an illustrative aid to the primary task of preaching the gospel. It is to show the man the necessity of repentance and of fleeing from the wrath to come. Now let us remember that the Lord has not just met the man again in the temple by chance. This second encounter is all part of the providence of God. The Lord desires to instruct the man in the way of salvation. Now God is sovereign and he can, if he so wish, cause there to be a direct connection between certain flagrant sins and the contraction of illness. God can do whatever he wishes with his own creation. There are some immoral practices which, in God's providence, carry with them an inbuilt tendency to disease and the weakening of the body. Nevertheless, we never know for certain how God is working in any one case. Disease and disability often afflict the godliest of people without there being a link to specific sin. And we can think of Job, for example, the righteous Job being covered throughout his whole body in horrible sores. Frequently, we simply do not understand the providence of God. But what we do know is that sickness is an integral part of the fallen human condition. Whether we are thinking of the believer or the non-believer, the flagrant sinner or the man who is pursuing righteousness. And so being a Christian does not exempt anyone from sickness. The question we have to consider here is, is the Lord, in verse 14, making a direct link between this man's 38 years of lameness and some specific personal sin which he has committed? Behold, thou art made whole, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Is he linking the man's lameness to a specific sin? Now this is not easy to answer. 
Many commentators say yes. Others say no. Bishop J.C. Ryle, for example, states this. There are sins which bring their own punishments on the body. And I am strongly disposed to think it may have been the case with this man. What we can most certainly assert is that whatever he may have done in the past, this healed man is just like the rest of men, a fallen sinful human being with a nature inclined to sin. In other words, he is a sinner right now. And the words sin no more apply to him right now. He has been wonderfully healed, but he must repent of all sin. The healing miracle is not an end in itself. He is under an obligation to be a humble, obedient servant of Almighty God. Because by nature he has a corrupted heart and has hopelessly sinned throughout his life like everyone else has. But now that the Lord has chosen to grant him this special mercy regarding his physical state, here is a further providential opportunity for him to focus upon personally seeking God and personally seeking his own salvation. How can he possibly receive such a benefit at the hand of God without then also considering the power and reality of God's existence and his personal need to be obeying God. Now, because the Lord came to have compassion on those who were suffering from sin, he also at the same time had compassion on those suffering from one of the primary consequences of sin, namely disease. All human beings ultimately die of some kind of sickness. This is the nature of fallen man. So the Lord's healing miracles are really a demonstration of his power to forgive sin. This is clearly seen when he healed the paralysed man who was lowered down to him through the roof on a stretcher. He proclaimed to that man even before that there was any indication that he would physically heal him, Son, thy sins are forgiven. Mark 2 verse 5. The Lord said that And he then proceeded to heal him of his paralysis. Not as an end in itself, but as a demonstration of his power to forgive sin. And so we read in Mark 2 and verse 10. Mark 2 
and verse 10. That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. He saith to the sick of the palsy, arise and take up thy bed. He who is able to rescue man from one of the consequences of the fall, namely disease, is also able to rescue man from the primary consequence of the fall, which is God's eternal wrath upon sin. So the healing of the crippled man here in John 5 is not an end in itself. It is a sign to him, revealing the Lord's true authority and status and the need for the healed man to respond by means of repentance from all sin and to trust this man Jesus as the very Son of God. So the Lord effectively says to the man, you have responded correctly to this miracle so far by coming to the temple to thank God. But you cannot now carry on in a life of carelessness. You must turn from all sin and you must follow me with the greatest urgency lest a worse end than your years of lameness comes upon you. You see, this man had tragically not been able to walk for 38 years. But an everlasting hell is far worse than that. Today, as non-Christians hear about the healing miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they must respond by realising the fallen and corrupted nature of their own hearts and by turning from sin and fleeing to Jesus Christ through whom alone there is forgiveness, mercy and the power to heal a sin-sick soul. Those who do not come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, will find that a worse thing than any physical sickness will come upon them. Namely, the eternal wrath of the Holy God in hell, which really does exist. Amen.